Today's episode of The Outside World is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including in companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield APY on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. It's not about what the outside world thinks, it's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room and the best man wins and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer out on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Another edition of The Outside World starts right now. I'm John Hayes, supervising producer here at The Athletic and always joined by my good friend and Oklahoma beat writer at The Athletic, Jason Kersey. What's going on, Jason? How are you? Oh, I'm good, man. Still unwinding from the season, but good. Yeah, it's that time of year where you, football becomes a, a bit of an afterthought, especially uh, when the team that you're covering um, goes out the way it did, obviously. We don't need to rehash what happened uh, in the Peach Bowl against LSU. We've got a lot on our agenda today, though, for the diehard Sooner fans who are checking in because um, there are you know, a bit of storylines that have been happening, including – um, the most important position in sports, and that, that is the quarterback position. We've talked on this show, Jason, about Oklahoma having an embarrassment of riches um, at the quarterback position over the last five years with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and, of course, Jalen Hurts. Now this program needs to transition into a, a, a new era of, of the quarterback position. There's been decommitments. There's been commitments. There are guys still on the roster who, who want to be the guy next year. Can you just kind of give us a state of that position as we sit here um, on January 6th looking forward uh, to next year? Well, I mean, I think uh, everybody who watched – well, let me rephrase that. Everybody who stuck around to the end of the Peach Bowl, um, which I would imagine is not everyone uh, listening to this podcast, and I wouldn't blame them, but uh, Spencer Rattler was the first quarterback off the bench. It was essentially uh, Lincoln Riley gave Jalen Hurts a curtain call sort of situation, and uh, Spencer Rattler uh, was the guy who came in, and uh, it was very surprising because Tanner Mordecai has been the backup all year, and uh, the camera cameras caught a glimpse, uh, uh, the television cameras caught a glimpse of Tanner Mordecai. Yeah, he did not look very happy uh, at that moment, although I also have to say that's kind of just his face, so I don't know entirely that you can read everything into that, but, uh, but still, uh, Spencer Rattler uh, came in. Uh, everybody already assumes he's the future. Uh, he was the five-star kid, the number one quarterback in the 2019 class. And, uh, you know, the, the assumption has always been that he would be the the uh, successor to Jalen Hurts and that Jalen Hurts was, and he was, a stopgap between uh, Murray and Rattler. And But uh, Mordecai, uh, I think, did see that as a sign uh, in some way because speaking to sources close to him, he uh, he has he did take some time to consider his future. He did talk to Lincoln Riley um, about uh, whether or not he would leave, and he was, I think, at one point sort of leaning in that direction. My understanding now is that he's talked to Lincoln Riley again and has pretty much decided that he's going to come back and, and fight, fight it out with Spencer Rattler. I don't think very many people give him a strong chance. I probably don't give him that strong of a chance, to be completely honest. I think it is Rattler's job. Um, it were, will be eventually, but Mordecai, it sounds like, will come back. Um, 
And uh, and then uh, it's just been a crazy few weeks for quarterback news because Brock Vandergriff, he was the number one quarterback in the 2021 class. Uh, so for next year, uh, he had been committed to OU since June, and then he decommitted a few days after the Peach Bowl. Actually, on New Year's Day, he decommitted. Um, and the next day after that, uh, uh, Chandler Morris, Chad Morris's son, uh, who obviously was previously committed to Arkansas and, and obviously wasn't going to stay committed to Arkansas after they fired his dad, uh, he committed to OU and actually has already signed. So he'll be joining OU in the summer. Um, but Brock Vandergriff's decommitment was a big uh, was a big blow. Um, and, uh, you know, he put on Twitter that it was because he he's from Georgia. He didn't want to go, go that far away from home. Um, there's a lot of people who seem to believe that it had something to do with Chandler Morris, but it really didn't. Chandler Morris has, has been signed for a couple weeks. He just wanted to wait till the Under Armour All-American game to, uh, to officially announce it. But, um, the Brock Vandegrift thing is weird. I, he claims it has to do with his family situation. Um, there are going to be people who believe that it has, has to do with the way, uh, OU got, uh, got beat in the peach bowl. I don't know because, uh, I, I mean, full disclosure, I have no idea what his real reason was. Um, but you know, take the kid at his word that he was, uh, a, you know, he didn't want to have to move that far away from home. And, um, and so OU is kind of back to the drawing board for 2021. But as for this year, it looks like OU will have Spencer Rattler, Tanner Mordecai and Chandler Morris, uh, a pretty young room, but, but Lincoln Riley did tell, uh, us the day after the peach bowl that he did not intend to go back into the grad transfer market that was a mouthful and let me just make sure that i've got this correctly and and that is that as we sit here today spencer rattler um, has the pole position if you will and there will be a competition between he and, and tanner mordecai now mordecai still has many months to decide whether he he wants to be at oklahoma i mean he theoretically he could go into spring practice, compete for the job, be told by Lincoln Riley that he lost the job, and enter the transfer portal. That's a possibility as well, correct? Well, not really, because that's not really how Lincoln Riley operates on these quarterback battles. Um, he likes to let them go, at least officially, at least in public. Um, he likes to let them go until basically the first week of school, which you know, can be viewed as kind of sucky in a way because what that means is that he's forcing whoever loses that battle to stay for that semester because once you're enrolled, um, then, you know, you're kind of stuck. And so um, I don't, you know, maybe it's all just a coincidence that these things always get resolved right after school starts, or maybe it's not. But um, because I guess my point is, I, I don't think that Lincoln Riley is going to make any sort of announcement about the quarterback position until the spring, after the spring. I think that he will wait until fall camp is over, until school starts. That's what he always does, even if it's obvious. Even if it's Kyler Murray over Austin Kendall, obvious. Even if it's Jalen Hurts over Tanner Mordecai, obvious. Even if in 2015 it was Baker Mayfield over Trevor Knight, obvious. So, uh, that's, I think, part of what Tanner Mordecai is thinking here, or was thinking before he, um, at least as of the other day, had decided to come back, is that did he really want to go through another quarterback battle that maybe was already baked in, or did he want to get to another school, get to another program, and start learning in a new system? The problem with that is he's not on pace to graduate uh, the, uh, the way that uh, Austin Kendall was, where he could transfer and have two years immediate eligibility. Tanner Mordecai is not in that position. So he would have to sit out a year. And I think ultimately what he decided is it would kind of be a waste of time for him to leave now and have to sit out the year uh, rather than just sort of give it a shot. So there is going to be a, a lot of eyeballs, I think, on this, this Oklahoma team in the spring because after you've had the quarterbacks that we mentioned and will continue to mention – throughout the history of Oklahoma football because that's how great they were. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and of course Jalen Hurts did not achieve what those other two did, but at the same time had a very, very unbelievable statistical season, one that's going to be hard to be replicated next year by either of these guys. This is going to be a conversation I think that we need to 
to to really continue to have and need to talk to as many people as possible because filling not only one pair of shoes but three pair of shoes whether it is Spencer Rattler whether it is Tanner Mordecai or or somebody else that comes into the program Chandler Morris though yeah before we move on to our our season in review uh, what'd you think about him throwing the horns down at the Under Armour All-American game uh, well, I thought it was funny. I think that, uh, you know, once he gets to, you know, he, he's not in a position where that's a penalty yet. So, you know, he's, he's still allowed <laughs> to do it. Um, obviously, I think it's ridiculous that that's a penalty. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was funny. And I think it I think honestly will endear him to OU fans. Uh, I, I, that's, that's sort of my takeaway on that. I, I, man, the oddity, though, of like watching him commit on live TV with Chad Morris standing behind him. I don't know. That it was just sort of strange. I, I I can't. I know it's his dad, and obviously he's gonna be there, right? But like, there was just something strange about. Uh, and maybe it's just because I have that connection to the Arkansas program too. Uh, but seeing Chad Morris back there, watching his son who had previously been committed to play for him, but then he got fired. Now he's committed. I mean, it's just weird. I I don't know. I found it very strange. And and Chad looked uncomfortable too. <laughs> I I was gonna say it's it felt a little bit cringeworthy. To, to see the coach's son throw the horns down. And trust me, I, I don't care about the horns down at all. I think it's fun. I think college football is about uh, smack talk in a, in a healthy way. And the horns down to me is just a, a really healthy way to talk smack against the, the Texas program. And But for a coach's son to do it in front of his father on live television, I felt like it was a bit uh, cringeworthy and, and, and awkward, considering what Chad Morris is headed to the Plains, is headed to Auburn. Uh, to help Gus Malzahn coach up that offense and Bo Nix. And, and now his son is, is headed to, to Oklahoma where Lincoln Riley has become a quarterback guru. Um, so very interesting uh, events that have happened uh, over the last two weeks uh, off the field, to, to say the least. And by the way, if, if you want to read more about the quarterback situation, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com, search for Jason Kersey or search for Oklahoma. You'll see that story. Oklahoma adds a QB for 2020, but how many will the Sooners have this fall? He goes in depth on the position. So just go there and get as much information as you possibly can set you up for the off season. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash the outside world, and you can become a subscriber for 40% off and continue. And that's the best part about the athletic, Jason continue to get, the best Oklahoma coverage. We're not going anywhere in the offseason, and neither is this podcast. I want to point you towards another story that was published today on The Athletic. Jason's final thoughts on the 2019 season. First and foremost, I think this is going to be really fun for you and I to dive into this because all season we followed this team. We reacted every Sunday and Monday to what we saw on the field, but we really never got a chance to go to 30,000 feet and say, where exactly did everything go right and possibly go wrong during this season? And you started with the big picture and the elusive eighth national championship. Oklahoma's now gone 19 seasons without winning a national championship. Put that into perspective for Sooner fans. Well, since OU won their first national title in 1950, they've never gone this long without winning one. Um, the, there were 17 seasons between uh, Bud Wilkinson's last uh, national title in 1956 and Barry Switzer's first one in 1974. That was the previous longest between, uh, between national titles. The, the, national the, the stretch or the amount of seasons between Switzer's final one in 1985 and the most recent one in 2000 was, you know, a 14 season gap or 14 seasons between those years. Um, and what, what's weird about it is that in the 17 season gap and the 14 season gap, there were, those were marked by serious downturns in the sixties. They lost four games several times. Um, the sixties were sort of a blah decade for the most part for OU, um, you know, until the very end, basically when Switzer got there as offensive coordinator, um, the, uh, the, the, the second long gap, the 14 year one was marked by the nineties, which I don't need to tell OU fans about John Blake or Howard Schnellenberger, but 
the this one is has been very strange because they've been really excellent throughout this this stretch. 19 seasons. In those 19 seasons, they've won 10 games 16 times. They've been Big 12 champions 12 times. Um they, I mean, they've been to big bowls, and they've been right there on the cusp of winning national titles. I mean, 2003, 2004, 2008, they were in BCS national championship games. In, uh, in 15, 17, 18, and 19, they've been in the college football playoff semifinals. So they've been there, and they've been in position to compete for these things, but but they can't uh, they can't get over the hump. You know what's interesting, Jason? It's like there's a new metric, in my mind, during that drought and – and, and I think that you wrote brilliantly, is that even the right word here, drought? But uh, just to use it, like the Sooners in the college football playoff era have made the invitational, the tournament, whatever you want to call it, have made it four times, which is, is an unbelievable achievement. I mean, there, not many programs can say that. I mean, Alabama can say it. Clemson can say it. And Oklahoma can say it. And that's off the top of my head. I don't think there's been another team that's been there four times. Ohio State's been there three, maybe four. Uh, but it's a, it, yeah, what? Ohio it, State was uh, f- 14. Sorry, now I'm trying to think. 14, 16, and then this year, Ohio State was in it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So here we are. And, and that's, that's ultimately my point. Is whether Ohio State is in there four or three, there's a very small group of programs that have had success, like Oklahoma, not just in the last 17 years, but in the last five years, in the last six years. But the lack of a win in the playoff, in my mind, is a stain on that resume. All you had to do was win one of them. Because when you look back at Oklahoma in this college football playoff era, you say, wow, heck of a job getting there. But when they're there, and I, and I think this, this year against LSU is a bit of an outlier because they were undermanned, there were suspensions, there were injuries, and they were going up against a historic offense. And I, I think that is the outlier of the group. When you look at the other three games, Jason, in my mind – the drought to me is about getting there and not winning a game, not getting to the national championship. Yeah, I mean, that's that's right. And they've had chances to – well, they had one chance. One really good chance to get there was, uh, was in uh, 17. And I still believe that if they'd won that – if they'd managed to, to hold on and win that Georgia Rose Bowl, I think they would have beaten Alabama in that national title game. But I think they would have – I think Baker Mayfield would have beaten, oddly enough, Jalen Hurts in that national title game. Um, uh, I, I just, I felt like that was their real shot to win that, to win a national title. And, uh, that is one that I think will haunt people. But even last year, you know, if the defense had been, had been better, uh, you never know how that game might've started differently. So that Alabama game, but, um, this year they, I mean, they were just completely overmatched and from the, from the beginning. And I mean, it was, it was, uh, I mean, 49, 14 at halftime is not a whole lot of ambiguity there, uh, or, or a whole lot of room for. Uh, debate about what what might have been in, in that situation. The thing about OU too is that seven the seventeen season is the only well I I, I think fifteen they were pretty much in by the end uh, and there wasn't a conference championship game so they basically had that weekend off. But so fifteen and seventeen they were pretty solidly in. But eighteen and nineteen they've needed a lot of help to get in uh, by the end of the year. Um, in both cases. And so um, I think they want to get to a point where getting where, where there's no debate about them being in. There's no, well, you needed this and this and this to happen to get in, where there being no question that they, they belong in. And I think they need to get back to that place. Um, but then once they get there, they need to win. I mean, you know, we, we talk all the time about the committee is supposed to view every season in a, in a vacuum, right? They're not supposed to say, well, we've let Oklahoma in four times and they've never made it past the semifinal round. We're not going to put them in again if it's if it's on the margins. They're not supposed to do that, but we're also talking about humans. And, uh, you know, we wanted a system. We, meaning the college football world collectively, uh, apparently wanted a system where we didn't want computers making these decisions. And that's why we got rid of the BCS and we we – you know, put it in the hands of these 
of this committee. Uh, and if we're going to have humans making these decisions, they're going to have their human biases. And part of that is perhaps going to be, are we really going to put Oklahoma back in and watch them get their butts kicked again? Um, if it was the BCS era, you know, the computers take all that stuff out. There's no considering last year. Um, so I, you know, there, there have been times when I've wondered if, and this isn't, even related necessarily directly to OU, just generally, if we would have been better off just saying, we're just going to keep the BCS formula, but move it to four teams and have it be a playoff. I think we would have been better off that way. I really do. It would have taken, it would take so much of the teeth mashing, so much of the just whatever the college football playoff committee chair, Rob Mullins wants to tell us, on ESPN on Tuesday night, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, just making it up as he goes. With computers, at least they couldn't explain them themselves or try to explain themselves. Just kind of, here's the teams, and we can uh, just take it as they are. I, I think what happens on the college football playoff ranking show when they trot the playoff chair out there and they try to tell us what matters and what doesn't, I think that actually mutter, muddies the waters even more than they actually are and creates this sense of confusion. If it was a computer system that just spit out the top four teams, yeah, that, that ca could cause some anger. It could, it could cause some angst, but you're not going to have to trot somebody out there to tell us why the committee felt that when who knows what they're actually thinking in that room. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the press conferences with Rob Mullins are a waste of time. They were a waste of time with uh, Kirby Hocutt, and they were a waste of time with Jeff Long. They're just a waste of time because they don't say anything. They don't explain anything. Right. Yeah, I think we agree on that, and I think most of college football agrees on that, and I think most of the people on ESPN agree with that, although contractually, if they said that, they might have an issue. Um, as we move down this list of, of observations about the 2019 seasons, I, wanna, I wanted to make sure that we got to, to C.D. Lamb, or as you called him, C.D. Goat. Quite the statement here about where he belongs on the list of Oklahoma wide receivers. Yeah, he's the best wide receiver in OU history. And, um, you know, I, I have no problem saying that because I, I believe it. He is a guy who has uh, the career that he's had uh, at, at Oklahoma, the numbers that he put up, the yards per catch um, numbers for this season alone. Uh, I can't find an Oklahoma receiver who had yards per catch numbers for one season that were as high as CDs this year. I think you'd have to go back to like the wishbone days when Tinker Owens in the seventies caught like one pass a game or Keith or, or <laughs> Keith Jackson caught one or two passes a game in the mid eighties. Like you can't find people in the modern era at Oklahoma who have yards per catch numbers like this. And you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't mean to trigger you here, John, but I have to say that if he had had a better passing quarterback this year, I think his I think he would have been a Heisman finalist. I think his numbers would have been through the roof and I think that he would have gotten a lot closer to the top of OU all-time receiving uh records. Now, he's going to finish he finishes his career third in uh in receiving yardage, career receiving yards at OU behind Ryan Broyles and Sterling Shepard who both played uh, four years. CD Lamb played three. So if he come, if he had come back for one more year, I don't know why he would have because he's going to be a first round pick. Um, you know, but uh, you know, he if he if he had come back, he would have I think perhaps shattered that re those uh, those records, especially with a quarterback in, in Spencer Rattler who was more capable of getting him the ball on a more consistent basis. You know, you wrote Jason. We caught little glimpses here and there of Lamb's frustration with Hurts whose limitations as a passer became more and more evident as the season progressed. What type of moments and glimpses are you, are you talking about specifically? Well, the one that really stands out is in Bedlam. There was a play uh, in the Oklahoma State game. There was a play where CD was wide open uh, deep down the field. He would have scored, and Hurts just didn't see him. And he threw the ball, dumped it down to Jeremiah Hall, the fullback, who picked up, I think, 20 yards on the play, but CD was visibly pissed off. I mean, it was it was clear how, how frustrated he was. And then on the next play, Hurts threw a, a shorter pass to CD, and he 
and he caught it, but he still was, he, you could tell he was still mad about the play before. And uh, that was just one. There were other little moments you could sort of see, but that's the one that I think people uh, notice the most. He's a remarkable player. I, I think he's got a chance to be the number one receiver off the board. I think he does too. I, I definitely think he does. He's going to have a great NFL career. And you saw, and, and, and we all did, how Marquise Hollywood Brown just transitioned from the Oklahoma offense to the NFL very easily. So, so I think NFL evaluators will look at Brown and say, his success immediately in this league, I think that translates to CD having that same type of success coming out of that same Lincoln-Riley system. Yeah, and CD has more of the measurables too. I mean, I mean Brown is fast. I mean, <laughs> we all know that how fast he is. Right. But I mean, CD's got the height, the I mean, all all of that kind of stuff, and he's so strong. I mean, that was the other thing is the play, the plays that he made. For example, in the OU Texas game, his second and third touchdowns were just unbelievable plays that showed, um, you know. On one of them, which I think is the best offensive play of the whole year, was his second touchdown in that game where he catches the ball and he's basically surrounded by five guys. And I don't know how he got out of that. Um, you, I mean, you watch it and it's sort of unbelievable. It's so like majestic the way he slips and slithers out of that. And then on the third one, he just shows his raw strength. Um the Kansas State game when when OU was trying to come back, he you know catches that little short pass from Hertz and takes it seventy yards or whatever for touchdown. I mean, this guy is special. He is a special, special talent. It was a pleasure to watch him, and I'm telling you, Jason, the more and more you 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 cover college football, the faster these careers happen. Um, you know, he's already gone, and. He'll never play for Oklahoma again. And I, and I think that's what makes college football unique compared to the NFL, of course, where you have a, a short shelf life. Uh, you can endear yourself to the fans. You can have some of the, the greatest seasons and, and become the, the best receiver in, in Oklahoma history. But when your eligibility is there for the NFL, it happens quick, especially guys who only play three years let's move on to the other side of the football forget the peach bowl you say the defense was better and the peach bowl there, there's no way to just ignore the fact that it left a bad taste in in everybody's mouth but I, I think there is a way to look at that through a different lens and realize that's not who and what this defense is all year long. No, I mean I think it's I think it's unfair to look at one game and base everything off one game and I know a lot of people will do that. I know that um a lot of the people uh on ESPN like Jim Mora Jr are going to use that game as a as basically a aha I was right moment, but they weren't right. I mean, for most of the season, the defense played really well. They were they were better than they were the year before. They are the reason that OU won a lot of the games that got them to the college football playoff. And so it's it's not right to say that I mean, look, the other the other thing that's absolutely true is that uh, the Big 12 was not as good on offense as it has been in the past. You know, there were not uh, Trayvon Boykin. There was not Will Greer. There was not Mason Rudolph. There was not, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Any of the, I mean, th those guys were not were not there this year. That The Big 12 uh, as a whole was, was a little bit down when it comes to quarterback play. But um, uh, you, you still can't deny the fact that uh, well, I guess it's not a fact. I guess it's an opinion, but I I, I feel Jason, comfortable calling it a fact because I'm so convinced of how you. bad that defense was last year. This this run of Big 12 quarterbacks, mediocre as they were, would have torched this defense last year. They just would have. Um, and uh, so they, they were better. They, their culture was better. Their attitude was better. Um, they won games because of the defense, but they came up against – an all-time great offense with Burrow and and Jefferson and those guys and um, man it, it was 
it was so clear that the the uh, steps they still have to take. They've got to get better players in there. Um, Justin Broyles was forced in because Delarian Turner Yell was um, was uh, injured during bowl practice, and uh, you know Delarian Turner Yell uh, obviously left a big hole because Justin Broyles was not ready for that moment. He's not fast enough to to compete against players like that. Um, and yeah, they were bad in the Peach Bowl. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell people that they weren't bad, but I also think it's important to take the whole season into consideration. And when you do that, they were clearly better. There are signs. There are signs that this thing is heading in the right direction, even if it ended with such a dud. It's really easy to just take a quick look at that Peach Bowl and, and make maybe those those judgments that a guy like Jim Moore Jr. did, who, by the way, is sitting on a desk at ESPN, he should be very well aware of players who were missing in that Peach Bowl. And by the way, I thought that Oklahoma really got a uh, – I don't think it was fair what happened in regards to the suspension and the injuries. People acting like those things didn't even happen. Anybody who follows this team closely knew that Oklahoma was a shell of itself in the Peach Bowl roster-wise, especially on the defensive side of the football. But that's neither here nor there. What was exposed more than anything, I think, was the lack of depth. And you talked about Alex Grinch maybe tipping his hand back in the spring during practice about that lack of depth on the defensive side of the football. I guess you could ask yourself, how did it hold up all season? And the dam finally broke in that national championship game. How do, how does I should say, Alex Grinch deal with that that depth? Um, did signing day help? And do they have to look into the transfer market this offseason, especially in the secondary? Well, they might. They might have to look into into the transfer portal for that. But I mean, they they just didn't have the the numbers. I mean, they and the numbers that they did have weren't good enough. Justin Broyles. Just it wasn't good enough. Isn't good enough. I, I don't think, and I, I think that's uh, that sounds like a really mean thing to say, but it's the truth. And um, when he's your second option, um, then then that's a real problem. But here's the the truth is, I mean, yeah, it sucked what happened. I mean, I think that um, you know it's total BS. The reason why those guys were suspended, I wrote a column about that. Um, I, I think that shouldn't be the case. Um, I think that Ronnie Perkins certainly would have helped. Um, I think Delarian Turner Yell would have helped. However, they were still going to get beat by three touchdowns at least, I think, even with those guys. I don't think it would have made a, a big enough difference to make up for the overall lack of talent and lack of depth on that on that defensive side. And um but as far as what they're doing, yeah, I mean they they've signed a good class. I mean they they and they've signed some DBs. Um, they've signed four, and I think they've got a fifth one that that is committed. Um, uh, that are all pretty highly recruited kids. They're all big. They all sort of fit in Alex Grinch's system. The question is how quickly are they going to be ready to play because they're going to be needed. They're, I mean they're going to need to play right away, or at least some of them are. Uh, to me, that's a bit of, uh, of a concern. You know, regardless of how highly touted you are. Um, as a freshman, I think there's some positions in which you can make an impact very quickly. I think secondary is a position where you're going to take some lumps, you're going to take some bruises, and you're going to have to learn the hard way, um, especially in the Big 12 where th that football is being thrown around a, a lot. And you know, to use a cliche, you've got to have a short memory, but especially in, in the secondary, you, you have to do that. So to, to me, Jason, I think ultimately my takeaway uh, about the defense – the defense this year and, and, and what Alex Grinch did was is, is simply it's a step in the right direction. You know, we could be sitting here today and we could be saying, well, new coach and no change, but we're not. He clearly made an impact on this program, Alex Grinch that is, and we'll see what type of impact he makes as this uh, team continues to grow on that side of the ball uh, around his lead leadership. Um, we got a couple more things to get into. We're going to hand out some season superlatives as well. Best player, offensive MVP, defensive MVP. But first, let's talk about the legacy of Jalen Hurts. We know Baker's legacy. We know Kyler's legacy. What about Jalen? How will he be remembered 
uh, as an Oklahoma Sooners quarterback. At the risk of sounding really like mean, I don't know that he will be <laughs> all that remembered. I think that in another five years or so, I think that this is one of those seasons that, um, at least on the quarterback side, that I mean, I, I, I he was he his role for OU this year was to was again to serve as a stopgap between Kyler Murray and 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 Spencer Rattler, but to serve as a stopgap between two five star guys and uh Jalen had a really good season he put up unbelievable numbers um he got OU to the playoff they won the big 12 and those are all great accomplishments um he was the second second in the Heisman voting if he'd won the Heisman or led OU to the national championship then he'd be he'd be a king in Norman but because he didn't do either of those things because uh his limitations were so clear by the end of the year uh, because the offense was not as good as it was previously, because because of the way he played, um, I I I just don't, uh, you know, he's not a guy I see coming back to Norman very often, if at all. He's not a he's not a guy that I see, you know, coming back for games all the time, or you know, like Russell Wilson delivered the commencement address at Wisconsin, even though he was a one year guy, grad transfer guy too. But he was also the greatest quarterback Wisconsin's ever had. Um, and Jalen is not even in the top five or six of the greatest quarterbacks OU's ever had. And if you go back to the wishbone days, it's even even more than that. So um, none of that is meant to, to denigrate him, but it's just the truth. I mean, he's, he's up in terms of OU history. He's up against Josh Heupel, Jason White, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. And I would even go as far to say there is a, there is a large segment of OU fans who will probably hold Trevor Knight in higher regard because of what he did in that Sugar Bowl and, and how exhilarating that night was for OU. So, I mean, I, I know that that all sounds like I'm crapping on the guy, but it, it's just, you know, it, it's and, and then on top of that, you know, it's not like he was a, a, a darling or a, a really likable guy in press conferences either. And, and that's how a lot of these guys hear from um, players and get to know them. And, and that was just not him. And so um, I think that he did owe you a lot of good. I think that they wouldn't have gotten to the playoff without him this year, probably. But um, I, I just don't know that his legacy is going to be much of anything at OU. I think that he will always be more remembered as an Alabama guy. You know what's uh, an analogy that I'm, I'm trying to piece together here? It reminds me of like a one-and-done college basketball player. And in today's era, how if you're a big five-star freshman and you go play for Kentucky and Kentucky goes to the tournament – maybe makes a final four, but doesn't get to the national championship game. And then you're gone. You're in the NBA and the next crop of guys um, are coming in to Kentucky. It's really hard as a one and done guy to create a legacy. Like the only way you can do it is by having a successful season that culminates with the ultimate prize, like without going to the national championship game or winning the Heisman trophy, it's hard to cement any sort of legacy in just one season In basketball. You can maybe do it because you're playing more games and st statistics really matter. But in the, but, but in college football, if you're just going to play one year, I mean, you've, you've got to do a lot to be remembered. And quite frankly, because Oklahoma has won so many Big 12 championships, like that doesn't feel like a strong enough accomplishment to be remembered for. Right. And I mean, it, it, you know, again, he it was if he'd been at OU for two or three years and won a couple Big 12 championships, then maybe it would be different, but um it just feels like one of those things that you know, we're going to look back in, in a few years, and those of us who follow the team extremely closely are going to remember that Jalen Hurts came. And, and look, in the grand scheme of college football, he's one of the most compelling players in college football history um, for what he did, for the way he handled things at Alabama, for the way that he became uh, a, a winning starting quarterback for two Blue Bloods. I can't think of anyone else who's done that. So, um, in that way, yeah, it's, I mean, he has awesome accomplishments, but in terms of his legacy in Norman, I just, I don't know that I see it being, being all that much. I think maybe his greatest com contribution 
when we look back in in a few years, is perhaps going to be the way he matured Spencer Rattler, if if he did, in fact. And we don't know that because we're not around every day. But um, you know, if he had a, a maturing impact on Spencer Rattler, uh, then I think that is that could be. Uh, his greatest legacy in Norman. If Spencer Rattler goes on to become the, the great quarterback, we think he can be. The second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season. But the good news is that you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at the $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. With only the best football teams left, there's no better time to be playing. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code RUN. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code RUN, R-U-N, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings.com. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. That that's a great point. What what type of leader was he? Did he did he just leave, or did he prepare his backups for for future success? That's a huge part of playing the quarterback position. And one more thing about the the grad transfer, the one and done situation in college basketball. It's difficult. You know, we talked about C.D. Lamb and his career just going by in a blink of an eye. I mean, these, these grad transfers, these these one-year players, uh, they're easily forgotten about. And I think Russell Wilson is, is, is an outlier. And the reason why I say that is because expectations matter. What, what are the realistic expectations at NC State? You know, what are the realistic expectations at Wisconsin? They're not the same expectations as Alabama and Oklahoma. They're just not. So where you're playing uh, and the type of legacy that you leave – also hinges on what type of expectations there 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 was for you heading into that season. Um, I want to wrap this up, Jason, with some superlatives. I think you did a great job on this. If we could just run through them. And let's start with uh, your best player of the season, and I've got a feeling that the audience knows where you're headed with this. Well, it's I mean, it's obviously C.D. Lamb. He was the best player on the team, and it wasn't particularly close. I mean, that's uh, – uh, for all the reasons that I've already laid out, C.D. Lamb is the was the best player on this team. How about offensive MVP and taking C.D. Lamb out of the mix? Because you know there's a difference between best and and most valuable. What do you yes. mean by that? Well, there there I think best. I mean I I think it's just the very literal definitions. Best is the best player. The most valuable player is the guy who was most valuable to your success. And on offense. I think the most valuable player on that offense was Kennedy Brooks. I think it became more apparent as the season wore on in the Kansas State game. Uh, you know, he only had three touches. After that, it was obvious Lincoln Riley made a point to get him the ball more. And you know, once uh, once uh, once they did, the offense sort of operated at its at its best. I mean, I think almost every game, if not every game, the rest of the way, uh, Kennedy Brooks had the first. Uh, t- had had a carry on the first play. Um, that wasn't the case in the Peach Bowl because it was a Jalen Hurts sack. But um, but I think maybe in the rest of the way it was Kennedy Brooks getting the ball on the very first play that set the tone. Um, following that Kansas State game, it became very apparent that he was he was the MVP of the offense. How about defensive MVP? Well, I think you got to go with Kenneth Murray. I mean, uh, you know, Ronnie, there would be a good case to be made for Ronnie Perkins, but, you know, he missed the last game. And, uh, you know, but Kenneth Murray, his overall impact um, and the way he improved in, the, in this new system, um, the, the, his leadership, all of those things to me uh, make him the most valuable player. And we haven't even talked yet about the fact that he's declared for the NFL draft. Um, I, I think that he's an athletic freak who is going to get an opportunity in the NFL um, but I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of where he goes because he still had some inconsistencies, um, and and I 
sort of think another year probably could have done him pretty well. At the same time, if you think that your opportunity is there, if you get the right draft grade, you got to go. So, um, but uh, but to me, he was he was pretty clearly the defensive MVP. Yeah, you talked about his athleticism and his frame and, and, and how that makes him an appealing option for NFL teams. And I agree. I mean, to me, watching him play linebacker, I felt like I was somewhat watching a, a hybrid player, um, a, a guy that could, could play on the outside, weak side, strong side, a guy that could line up on the edge, maybe on the line, and, and get after the quarterback as well. I think his development in the NFL, I think you're going to see him become a complete defensive player and someone that a, a really good NFL defensive coordinator can use on multiple levels. And I think ultimately uh, that's why he decides to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think that's probably the case. He, he's gonna, he's gonna have a chance to have a really nice NFL career, but, um, you know, he, he's a guy who started, uh, you know, he started every game he played at Oklahoma from his true freshman year. He, uh, as a sophomore, he essentially was the spokesman for that defense. Uh, every week he had to come in and defend how badly they were playing and, and try to put a positive spin on it. Um, I, I really like him. I think he's a good dude. And, uh, you know, I, I really do wish him the best. Let's take a look at the, and this is fun for me, the, <clears throat> the strangest moment of, of the year. Um, I, I think we all remember it, and we're just thankful that, that nobody got hurt. Well, yeah, it's the schooner crashing because it not, I mean, I couldn't believe it when it happened. Um, you know, they just turned too sharp at about the 15 yard line. And, uh, the, the, to, to me, my favorite part of the whole thing, again, no one was hurt. So we're allowed to laugh about it. I, the day that it happened, I made some Twitter jokes and people got really offended, but no, wait, one wait was hurt. Jason, people got offended on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. No, no way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think I made like a, because I, I'm, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I like musical stuff and, uh, the Oklahoma musical obviously has Surrey with a fringe on top. And I made a joke <laughs> about that song and the scooter crashing and people got a little bit offended, uh, because, because of that, but no one got hurt. So we're allowed to laugh about it. Yes, we and are. It was, and it was funny. Okay. It just was funny. Um, the funniest part about the whole thing was that the horses just kept going. That was my favorite part of the whole thing is that they didn't, they didn't care. They just, they, they got their job there to, there to do. They turn and they go and they just kept running right off the field like they were supposed to, um, and left the carnage behind them. Um, but it was strange because it like, it, I, you know, it's happened, I think one time before in, in the nineties, um, uh, that, that I wasn't there to see. So I'd never actually seen it happen before, but it also became this meme, this gift that got every time OU would, would screw around and, and not play well, that just became like the thing people would tweet. And I, and, uh, you know, one week after that happened, they lost to Kansas state. So it got a lot of run then. Uh, but, but my favorite, favorite, my, uh, the, the craziest one was in Waco, I mean, Baylor played that video on the Jumbotron during the first half when they were winning by 28 points or whatever. They played <laughs> they really? that. Yes, they played it on the Jumbotron. I could not believe it that they did that. That was also when they uh, they they played and the, the audience sung really loudly the Lizzo song, Truth Hurts, which... Uh, you know, I maybe they play that every game. I don't know. I'm not at every Baylor game, but the hurts aspect of that seemed kind of pointed. So Baylor was awfully trolly in the first half, and then it all kind of came back to bite them. Let's wrap this up with I think your last category, which is a great one, by the way. Questions that you have that Lincoln Riley won't answer. There is, by my count, nine of them here. If you could just pick one or two for us and the, the questions, uh, let's pretend that this is a press conference, Jason, and we all know that you're not getting nine questions at a press conference. Which one are you going to ask if you had to, if you could? Oh, man. Um, there's, there's a lot of you know, interesting ones, but, I mean, I, I think the one that I really – that was the greatest mystery to me this year was why did Trey Sermon disappear? Um, and, and, you know, before his injury, he was 
virtually non-existent uh, from the Texas game until his injury. And I never quite understood why. I mean, Lincoln said, well, that's just the way it worked out. But I don't think that that, I, I don't know that that's true. I, I don't know if he was, you know, I, I don't want to do too much speculating here, but there had to be something else going on because it makes no sense that you're, you're starting running back from the year before who played really well early in the season just all of a sudden was not part of the game plan at all. So I think that would be the, the, the first one. But, I mean, I, I had a, I, you know, I, will, I still want to know more about the Trajan Bridges experiment at safety, I, I, you know, and why they did it and why they pulled the plug on it so quickly. Um, you know, why C.D. Lamb went to the Baylor game and warmed up and then didn't play. Um, what, why they did that. Like, there's a lot of things that I would like to know that I don't think he would ever give the full answer to. You know, if you want to read this full story, and if you're a Sooner fan and you're hanging out with us and you've made it this long on the pod, uh, it's definitely worth your time. Just go to theathletic.com and search Jason Kersey or uh, go to the college football tab and select Oklahoma. You can find it there. You can also follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Kersey. The link to the story will be there. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, what are you waiting for? It's theathletic.com slash the outside world. And you can become a subscriber and receive your first year for 40% off. That's less than one latte a month. I know that you're all spending seven, eight dollars a day at Starbucks. So just go ahead, add another two dollars to your monthly bill, and and you get all of Jason's coverage um, at the Athletic. Jason, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you this year, uh, covering the Sooners. What do you have planned uh, for the off season um, for Sooners fans to look forward to? What type of coverage do you think that you're going to have, and what does your timeline look like um, over the next two, three months heading into spring football? Yeah, I mean, we're, we'll do we'll do some stuff with recruiting. We'll do some features, do some projects. I mean, we got a lot of things that we're talking about and, and thinking about. Um, you know, the, the, there is no such thing as the off season uh, for us, and so. The, but but in, in addition to that, I'll also be uh, hopefully doing some things on other sports. I don't want to give too much away right now, but I'm sort of thinking along the lines of some other other sports that I want to do some features about some, some OU athletes that, uh, that I wanted to, uh, highlight. Um, I'm sure I'll be at the women's college world series again in Oklahoma city, uh, which I'm really excited about. I, that's my favorite event. One of my favorite events of the year. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that'll be coming. And the last thing I want to do is thank the listeners for bearing with me uh, all season long. And, and thank you, Jason, for, for dealing with me as well. You've been on the Oklahoma beat for a while. I know Sooners fans, they live and they bleed uh, crimson and cream. And this was my first year uh, covering Oklahoma so closely. And it was, a, it was a really fun ride. And it was more than anything, just a really – it, it was a really pleasurable experience to just get out of the bubble that is the SEC – and talk about some other programs out there that deserve credit and deserve to be talked about. But you know what it's like, Jason. You get sucked into that SEC bubble, and, man, it's it's hard to get out. And I did, my friend, and I enjoyed this with you. Well, thanks, and thanks for doing this with me. It was nice, uh, nice doing it with you as well. It's the outside world. Uh, Jason will be back next week with a, a fresh episode. I told you, we're not going anywhere. Jason's not going anywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at John Hayes on air. You can follow Jason at Jason Kersey. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon.